This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Please enjoy Pastor Sean Myers as he delivers the week one teaching from the series, Hearing God's Voice. Please enjoy. Well, welcome back to 12 Stone. Glad you're here and I uh, hope you're having an incredible summer. Uh, 11 o'clock, you guys good? Ready to go? Yes, seems like it. Well, listen, every summer is a little bit different, isn't it? Based on the vacations we take, activities that we do, what's going on at work. But if there is one thing that has been a constant uh, for my family when it comes to summer, one thing that best represents every summer to us, it would be this. This is a puddle jumper. You could call it a swimmy. Uh, something, whatever. Uh, but this is a big deal to my family. It's very much a part of our summer every summer. And chances are, if you have kids like I do, it probably plays a big part in your summer as well. Now, I have made it my goal this summer to get my son Beckett out of his swimming. See, we love the pool. We, we go to the pool all the time. The neighborhood pool is great. It's fun. It's free. It's a way to tire out our kids and put them to bed early. And we love that. So getting Beckett out of this, though, it, it's become time. See, it was cute when he was two or three years old wearing one of these, flopping around in the pool going, Dad, look at me. I'm swimming. It's like, yeah, buddy, good job. It's not cute anymore. He's five years old, and it is time. When he wears this and flops around in the pool, now I'm looking at him going, bro, you ain't swimming. You're floating. Get over it. Let's go. Let's do something about it. So we're, we're getting Beckett out of his floaty uh, this summer and working on that. Now, this is actually really difficult inside of a neighborhood pool. If you have one, uh, they're generally very noisy. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of people around. And so I'm just kind of adding to the chaos and noise by being there with my son. And what I've been doing is kind of just holding my hand underneath his belly as he's laying on top of the water and just encouraging him through the process to kick his legs, reach with his arms. And, but it's been a struggle, it's been a fight because I have to be louder than everything else around him. See, when I'm doing this, when I'm walking with him and when there are other voices and other sounds that are louder than my own voice, I begin to see this panic in my son's eyes. And he just starts looking around. He's like, dad, dad. And I come up and I'm like, I'm here, buddy. I'm here. Keep going. You're doing great. And I've noticed that every single time he panics, every single time he doesn't hear my voice, once he begins to hear it again, he can keep swimming. He relaxes. He goes through the process, continues to develop inside of that. Now, now let me make a point here for us this morning. In the pool... Beckett has to learn how to hear my voice over everything else. He has to tune out the voices of his friends, his big sister telling him he can't do it. We're a very encouraging family. Uh, the sounds of the water and even the doubt in his mind of whether or not he can do it. But when my voice is the loudest voice he hears, he has confidence and can swim. And through this process, I've been reminded about how powerful the voices are inside of our lives. See, the right voice can encourage, it can empower, reinforce, correct, direct, love, inspire, invest, comfort, bring peace and patience. Likewise, the wrong voice can discourage, destroy, distress, break down, condemn, frustrate, depress. The voice we listen to is often the difference between sinking and floating in life. And I think we all know this. I think we all know it. Because I get asked the same question a lot as a pastor. Whenever I hear the phrase, uh, Pastor Sean, can, can I talk to you? 
I generally have a good idea of what's coming next. Because in my 10 years of ministry, I have been asked the same question over and over again. A great question by so many different people. By a lot of 12 stoners. It's been by a lot of students in our student ministry and children in our children's ministry. Been, a lot of people in the pool have asked me this question. What's the question? Come on over here. Here's the question. How do I hear God? And I bet the majority of us in this room, most of us here, have probably wondered or asked this question at some point in our lives. Because I think every single one of us, we we have a deep sense that we want a close relationship with God, where we hear from him and he hears from us. And generally, we'll ask this question when it matters most. When there's a big decision that needs to be made in our lives, maybe it's buying a house, uh, starting a new job, should I date this person? What school or college should I go to and attend? I, we're, it may we're praying for something and we're just trying to hear his voice. But if we sit in those seasons for too long inside of our lives, I think we begin to ask the question, like, is God even speaking? Is he even there? And there's a quote from A.W. Tozer that I love, that speaks right into this. And I'll read it for you, they'll put it up on the screen. He said this when it came to the voice of God. He says, the facts are that God is not silent, has never been silent. It is the nature of God to speak. You see, God is speaking to us every single day. It's in his nature. In fact, he wants to speak to you today through this teaching. He wants you to hear his voice. Now. Let let me start off by by saying this. I've never heard the audible voice of God in my life. Honestly, I don't think I ever want to hear the audible voice of God in my life, right? I think if I heard his audible voice, I would be so freaked out, I couldn't even hear what he was trying to tell me. I think I'd just duck and run for cover, trying to figure out what's going on. Never heard his audible voice. In the next couple of weeks, we're gonna go after this question. How do I hear God's voice? And when we're talking about this, we're not talking about the audible voice of God. We're we're talking about hearing his voice through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through the circumstances that are going on in our lives, through the thoughts we have in our head and the prompts that he gives us. We wanna hear God through those. And we're gonna talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But I wanna answer this question by asking you another question, and here it is. What has your attention? Here's what I mean. I don't know if it's just me, I hope it's not me, but for whatever reason, I am gifted in being able to sit across the table from my wife and have her talk to me and have no idea what she's saying. I love my wife, I love her to death, but there are moments she is talking to me, I have no clue what's going on. Anybody else around them have somebody like that? Yes. Whenever she stops talking, I just assumed that she asked me a question and I say, what? And she hates that, hates that. You guys know what I'm talking about. But, but that, that brings us to the question, what has your attention? What has your attention in life? And really, what I'm trying to say is this. Does God have your attention? This is the question. See, if the answer to that question is no, then that's the problem. We need God's voice speaking into every area of our life. We need him speaking into our jobs, our families, our friendships, our 
health, our areas of service, our futures, marriages and careers, our giving and raising up our children. We want to hear from God in those areas of our life. And in the same way that my son Beckett needs my voice to be the loudest voice in the pool, we need God's voice to be the loudest voice in our lives. But for that to happen, we have to give our attention to God. In fact, why don't you write this down? First blank in the notes. Our relationship with God must be our highest priority, highest pursuit, and highest passion. Now, here's what I mean by by each one. Priority refers to what we deem as having the highest importance. These are the things that we schedule in our calendar first. By pursuit, this means what we follow closely. This is consistency. Do you pursue God every day? This passion means that it stirs our greatest feelings of love and devotion. And if you don't have this passion for God, pray for it. Ask God to give you a passion for him and he'll place that inside of you. But if God is who he says he is, which we believe he is, then he should be our highest pursuit, our highest priority, our highest passion inside of our lives. And and this is all possible in the midst of the busyness of life. This is all possible while trying to balance your calendar and figure out jobs, families, appointments, work deadlines, uh, driving your kids everywhere and dropping them off, working with schools and helping out, whatever we have to do. God is saying, don't wait till all that is done to come seek me. Seek me in the midst of the chaos of life. Now, if you're sitting here today looking at this thinking, well, that's not true of me. God is not the highest priority, pursuit, or passion inside of my life. Let me encourage you. Don't tune out. Making God our highest priority, pursuit, and passion is not a destination. It is a daily decision. If this is not true of you today, that's okay. Start today. See, today's pursuit of God does not cover tomorrow. Every day we have to go after him. And listen, if you miss a day, pick it back up the next day. Keep going after him. Keep pursuing him. And if you will, God has a promise to you and I through Jeremiah 29, verses 13 through 14, when he spoke to Israel. They'll put it up. Let me read it. This is God's promise to us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Now, we're not Israel. But God still desires to be sought out and found by his people, by his children. It's who God is. So here's the seven-word prayer, a dangerous prayer that I have for every single one of us today and throughout the next couple weeks and hopefully every single day of your life. Here's the prayer. They'll put it up. It was Samuel's prayer in the Old Testament. This is our prayer today. Make it your prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's make this our prayer. In fact, why don't we all say this together out loud? Make this your prayer. Ready? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let me pray for us before we get into God's word. So, Father, we bow our heads before you, knowing that we're about to open up your word. We're going to dive into the Bible. Father, we pray that this prayer would be true here today. That when we seek you, we will find you. And so we're sitting here saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Use your word again inside of our lives. Use our life circumstances that we've brought into this room to speak your truth into our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, while this is a great promise from God and a great prayer from us, uh, what does it actually look like to seek something with all of your heart? 
What does that look like? I wanna give you a picture of what that looks like through a video of my daughter, Ella. This is from her Easter egg hunt last uh, Easter at school. Now, let me give you some context. Uh, in this Easter egg hunt, there are a few eggs that are white eggs with black dots on them. In these eggs are money, and the kids know it. So these eggs are much more valuable to every single kid that is out there. Every kid wants one. Now I want to show you a video of my daughter in her Easter egg hunt. I'll walk you through it. So here we go. My daughter is going to be on the left side of the screen in slow motion. She's got the uh, pink basket, green shirt on, open white sweatshirt, all the way to the left right there. She's going to soon be the only girl in the picture. And they're all pursuing something. And now here's the most proud moment of any father that he could ever have right here. Now, look at both of them lunging for this white egg. They both want it, and my daughter is going after it. Now, watch this boy behind my daughter right now. Look at this. Unbelievable. And my daughter reaches down, picks it up, and what does she have? She's got a big smile on her face, but she has that white egg with a black dot on it. She gets the money. Exciting stuff. Now, I'm realizing as we're showing this video that that might have been a 12-stone family that that boy was a part of, in which case, I am so sorry. I would never celebrate my daughter doing something like that. Couldn't be prouder. That's what it looks like to seek after something with all of our heart, to go all in, to go all in after it. Now, with that picture in your head today, I want to talk about what happens when we do that in our relationship with God. I want to talk about what God's voice will do in our lives as we seek him, as we go after him. And I want to do that through a story of Peter and Jesus walking on water. So if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, the Worship Center Bibles are underneath your chairs at another campus. Uh, you probably got handed one on the way in or they're underneath your chairs as well. Uh, we're, we're turning to page 981. Page 981 in your, our Worship Center Bibles. Uh, and we're gonna look at the story of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through uh, 32. And this is the story of Peter walking on water with Jesus. Now as you're turning there, page 981, let me get you caught up to speed. We're going to take a look at Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was notorious for being the guy that went after everything with all of his heart. And sometimes that gave Peter a bad reputation. I mean, Peter is the disciple who denied Jesus three times. But he was also the only disciple that was close enough to Jesus to get caught in that denial. Peter is the guy that so impulsively cut off the ear of a Jewish priest that was a part of the mob that was arresting Jesus. But Peter was also the only disciple to come to his defense. And today, in this story today, Peter is the disciple who sinks in the Sea of Galilee. But he's also the only disciple to walk on water. And as we look at this story today, Jesus is going to move Peter through three specific groups, from the crowd, to the boat, to the water. And today we're going to discover through Peter's experience that God's voice moves us in three ways as well. In fact, what you can write them down right now, I'll give them to you. Then we're going to dive into the scripture and break each one down. And, and here's what it is. God's voice moves us from tolerance to truth, 
this is the crowd, from fear to faith, this is in the boat, and from regret to rescue, this is on the water. So let's read, starting in verse 22, and then we'll break each one down as we go through. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And here's where Peter's impulsiveness comes out. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and sunk to the bottom of the sea. This isn't what it says at all. That's not what it says. It's what it should say, but it's not what it says. Something miraculous happens in this moment. Can't miss. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Awesome story. I love, love this point of scripture and what Peter experiences. Now, let's talk about it. Let's take a look at this and figure out what's going on. The story begins with Jesus standing before a crowd. And curiously, the first thing that Jesus does is move the disciples away from the crowd onto a boat, onto the sea. And it says in verse 22, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Now the word made in verse 22 is very literal. The original Greek word anankazo means to force. So the picture is Jesus is literally forcing the disciples to get away from the crowd as fast as he can into the boat and out onto the sea. But why? And this is where it gets so interesting. I love this point of scripture. Check this out. Did Jesus know that the storm was coming? Of course, he's God. Yes, absolutely. Then why did he deliberately send his disciples away from the crowd and into danger, into the storm? Because Jesus knew that the greatest danger was not the storm, but that his disciples might get swept up in the crowd who wasn't about God's will. Don't miss that. See, in the Gospel of John, and his account of this story, he lets us know and tells us that the crowd wanted to make Jesus king for selfish reasons, and Jesus knew it. Their purpose was not spiritual. They wanted to leverage Jesus for themselves. Jesus knew that the greatest danger was that the disciples would get swept up in tolerance rather than following his truth because the crowd always values tolerance over truth and God is always moving us from tolerance to truth. So here's what we need to know in this point of the story. When God speaks, when he commands us, he will always move us from tolerance to truth. In all of us, here today, like in this story, 
are in danger of getting swept up in the crowd. There are areas in our lives where culture is trying to sway us from God's truth, his word, and move us into tolerance. And guys, let's just be honest. It's easy to tolerate our sins instead of leaning into truth because that's what the crowd always leans into is tolerance. Now, I want to read this next portion. I want to make sure I don't get this wrong. I want to make sure my words don't get screwed up in the process, that I say it right, okay? You okay with that? I'm going to read this. Let me read it. The challenge that that the church faces today is that we live in a culture where tolerance has been elevated above truth. It's considered wrong to say that something is wrong, but to think that everybody is right and nobody is wrong is as silly as pretending that everybody wins and nobody loses. We all know that someone loses because we remember UGA's national championship loss to Alabama. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. I had to stick it to the UGA fans one more time uh, right there. I sense I've lost half the room. Like, you're just like, I don't even care anymore. Forget it. Let me bring it back in. Let me keep reading. When truth is sacrificed on the altar of tolerance, it might seem as though everybody wins. But in reality, everybody loses. And we begin to hear less and less of the voice of God. God calls us to a higher standard than tolerance. It's called truth. God's voice will always move us in our lives from tolerance to truth. Always. And it's one thing to say that, but what does it actually look like to live that out? What does it actually look like for God to move us in that? I want to I demonstrate that to you, tell you about it through a story. For whatever reason, Growing up in my life, one of the greatest sin issues that I have had has been anger. It has been so deeply rooted inside of me. And at a young age, it was easy to manage my anger because I would let it build up over time, but I had an outlet inside of sports. So it would build up and I'd get angry and I would just take it out on the guy across from me on the football field or in the wrestling mat. And that was an easy way to manage it. But as I've gotten older, it was more and more difficult to manage my anger when I didn't have outlets to get rid of it. And really, it was my sophomore year in college at Southern Wesleyan University where God really brought it to my attention and wanted to address it with me. What happened was my sophomore year of college, I was asked not to return back to that university the next year. Now, let me tell you why. There was a flag football tournament that was going on on campus. Now, it, this was actually an outreach event. It was like everybody from the community come on in and play and have some fun, but it was really competitive flag football. Uh, but you know, for whatever reason, flag football is just not physical enough. There's something about it that it's just like it scratches a little bit of a niche, but doesn't quite get there. And, and I was guarding this guy uh, that was on the other team, and he wasn't a student, kind of my age, a little bit older, uh, but he was really good. And it was driving me crazy that as I was guarding him, he continued to beat me every single play. So it started to get more and, for, more, and more physical every single play between the, the two of us. We were both getting a little frustrated. It was getting kind of on edge. And my anger just built up. Up so strong that the next play when they snapped the ball, I full out tackled them as hard as I could and just started swinging punches and started a fight. Now, what I wish I would have known before that was that he was a friend of a student, but this guy was a Marine. <laughs> yeah, 
bit of useful information to have before you start a fight. And by fight, what I mean is he just wailed on me <laughs> in that moment. And they had to separate us. And by separate us, I mean, it, literally, they had to pull him off me and save my life uh, in, in this process. But which only made me more and more angry in this moment. And this is in front of the entire school that's out there, the faculty, the staff, the community. This is all happening. And my temper, I, I just lost it. I snapped. And I'm just screaming and fighting. They're pulling me off, getting me off the field. And, and as they're doing this, the president of the university, who knows me by my first name, which is never a good sign, uh, yelled something at me. And I can't even remember what he said. But all I remember saying back is, you can kiss mine. And I didn't finish it. Church, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life when I look back on it. Just a kid with a hot temper that couldn't control it. Sinful. All this was happening while I was a ministerial student training to become a pastor. Yeah. They should have expelled me. They should have. But they didn't. I had to go sit down with the president, Dr. Spittle. And he looked at me and said, Sean, we should expel you. We're not going to. But what we're going to do is we're going to ask you, please don't come back next year. Go somewhere else. And part of my punishment was to go clean this house that was on campus. It was a house that was used for missionaries to stay at when they were around town and for guest speakers that would come in and speak at the university. They would stay there. And I'd have to go clean this house once a week. And when I did, he would meet me there afterwards and talk to me for about an hour and just pour into my life. And God used that man as his voice to move me from tolerance to truth. And I will never forget the first conversation we had. He looked at me and he said, Sean, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and you have none of these things. <laughs> and if you're gonna be a pastor, you're gonna need them. And I'll tell you what, he spoke truth into my life. Sean, it, God does not tolerate your anger. You may, but he doesn't. And, and God is trying to tell you that you need to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And he would just pour into me in these conversations and talk to me and reoccurring every single time, tell me, Sean, God's grace means that he will love you no matter what, but his truth has to be followed no matter what. And, and church, hear me, hear me on this. God's voice cannot be the source of your strength if the world is the source of your standards. It can. It, if you are not willing to listen to everything that God has to say, soon you won't hear anything he has to say. And it's often the things that we want to talk about the least that he wants to talk about the most. You cannot hear the comforting voice of God in your life unless you are willing to submit and surrender to hearing the convicting voice of God first. It's just a reality. God wants to move us from tolerance to truth. Where in your life, maybe it's not anger, maybe it's something else, but where in your life have you begun to tolerate a sin? And God today is going, man, I'll love you through it no matter what. That's my grace. But I'm not gonna tolerate it. It's time to move to truth. See, Jesus was protecting the disciples, moving them away from the crowd of tolerance to stay inside of his truth. Let's get back into the story 
after God moves the disciples from the crowd to the boat, Jesus goes up to the mountainside to pray for his disciples as the storm hits their boat. But God wants to remind us that Jesus always comes to us in the storms of life. He may not come at the time we think he should come because only God knows when we need him the most. So Jesus waits. He waits till all human hope is gone and the disciples are in the middle of this storm and it looks like it is over. And that's when he shows up in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, it's you, Peter replied. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you guess is one of the most common commands in Scripture? Maybe love others, do not sin. It might surprise you that one of God's most repeated commands in his, in his word, in the Bible, is fear not. Do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? So, so why does God tell us to stop being afraid more than anything else in the Bible? Because fear is the number one reason people avoid doing what God's asked them to do. Fear is the number one reason why only one disciple got out of the boat. And what's interesting to me is that when Peter saw Jesus, he didn't say, oh, Jesus, stop, come help us, save us. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter knew that no matter the storms we face in life, it is always safest with Jesus. Always. And with one word from Jesus, Peter moves from fear to faith and gets out of the boat because that's what God's voice does for us when he speaks. Now for just a moment, I wanna talk about the 11 other 11 disciples that are still in the boat. Why are they still in the boat? Two reasons. Number one, they're afraid. Number two, because they have a boat, right? It's not rocket science here. If you got a boat in the middle of the storm, you stay in the boat, and that's safe. And that's what they did. And here's what I mean. When fear takes hold of our lives, we usually turn to something that makes us feel safe, even if it's not God. That's what we do. And so let me ask you a very important question. What's your boat? See, your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God. If you want to know what your boat is, your fear will tell you. Just ask yourself this. When fear sets in, where do I turn to instead of God? That's your boat. It might be your parent, a spouse, friend. It could be your career, your children, a physical appearance, your gifting, your possessions, money, alcohol, self-pity. It could be the amount of likes you get on Instagram. Who knows? Whatever it is, God is telling you today, get out of the boat. Seek God with all of your heart and let him turn your fear into faith through trusting in him alone. Him alone. Can I take a moment? I'm gonna take a moment. Whether you let me or not, I'm gonna do it. Can I take a moment? I wanna, I wanna brag on my campus at Buford. Let me do that for a second. Uh, man, because God took us from fear to faith this week. Uh, this past Wednesday... I got a call from the construction company over building our new building. If you didn't know this, our Buford campus is being built right now. We're opening in a matter of weeks. Excited about that, what God's doing. Very cool stuff. Uh, 
But we're getting close to the end of this bill. It's been a, oh man, a three and a half year process of going after this and what God has had, had for us in it. And I got a call on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, the call was this. It was, Sean, the pavers are behind in paving the parking lot at the campus. I mean, the rain that we've been having has just pushed them so far back. And the only opportunity they have to do it now is tomorrow, it is last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. If they can't get it done then, we're gonna miss the grand opening date. And here's the crucial thing, Sean, if it rains, we're not gonna be able to get it done. And so I did what every person would do in that moment. I opened up the weather app and I got on it and I just looked at Thursday, Friday, and Saturday's forecast, 60 to 80% rain Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, awesome. Fear just started to set in inside of me, but God just pressed and said, just pray, just pray. And so you know what? We got out of the boat as a campus, we sent out an email to our prayer warriors and we said, listen, would you just pray for this rain that it would go away, that we could be able to pave and get this thing done? And Thursday, not a single drop of rain. Amazing. Started working through it. Absolutely. Don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. Listen, because then Friday came. It poured. Absolute downpour at the campus all around. Man, I was so frustrated just looking at the rain. But then on Friday, as I'm sitting there, I got a text, and I want to read the text to you that I received. The project manager from Van Winkle, this is construction, just said that the thunderstorms went all around them, but not one drop hit the parking lot. They are going to continue tonight until it's done. We don't even have to worry about rain tomorrow. Come on, how awesome is that? Amazing. Our God that controlled the wind and the waves, even in the story today, still controls the clouds and the rain here today and now this week so that we can pave it. Can I show you a picture of this campus? Whether you like it or not, it's going up. Throw that, throw that video up. Look at this beautiful campus that God has given us as a church. And listen. We don't celebrate the beauty of the building. We don't celebrate uh, what that looks like in itself. We're celebrating that God has entrusted us with an incredible tool to open up in the city of Beaufort to reach those that are far from Christ so that they can re uh, experience his rescuing hand in that building. That's what matters. We're gonna go build disciples inside of that building. But God made that happen. He has turned our fear into faith, even this week, representing what that building is going to be and how we got it done on time. We're gonna have that grand opening early August, excited about what's coming inside of that. Now let's get back into this teaching to close here today. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now let me say something about stepping out in faith. Like Peter, you almost always second guess yourself. You make the decision to get out of the boat, to change your career, to start a business, to buy a house, uh, to pray for healing in a moment. And you have doubts and you start sinking spiritually because you stop focusing on Jesus and start focusing on the wind and the waves. And like Peter, you are going to have regrets from the moments you take your focus and attention off God. But be encouraged. Jesus met Peter on the water and moved him from regret to rescue. 
God is in the business of rescuing us from our regrets. Do you know that? No matter how big or small the regrets are that you carry in here today, God wants you to give him your regrets. And through forgiveness, through Jesus Christ, God will meet us in that moment and take those regrets and put them as far as the east is from the west. Saved, forgiven, rescued. That's what God has for you. Now, I don't think Peter ever regretted getting out of the boat. I don't. In fact, I think there was a moment where all the disciples were sitting around a fire one day and Peter just said, you know what, guys, you remember that time? Remember the time we were on the storm in the boat and I got out of the boat and I walked on water and you know every disciple was sitting around that fire kicking themselves for not getting out of the boat, right? I don't think he ever regretted it. The only regret that Peter had in that moment was that he took his attention off God and started focusing on the storm around him. Where in your life are there storms and circumstances going on where you've taken your attention and focus off God and placed it on the storm? That's often where our regrets come in. We serve a God that's in the business of rescuing us from our regrets. It's amazing. And so today, as we turn the service over to the campus pastors, I'll ask you a question. Listen, God is speaking, no doubt about it. The question is, does he have your attention? And where today is he trying to get your attention to move you? Is it from tolerance to truth? Is it from fear to faith? Or is it from regret to rescue? We want to pray for you. Here at this campus, can I pray for you guys? Can we pray? Would you bow your heads with me? So Father, we come before you. And here's what I know, the reality is, we, we talk about a story like this and walk through it and talk about wanting to hear you, God, hear your voice. And I know this, these circumstances that we're praying about right here and right now are no small thing. There are very serious storms that we are walking through. God, would you bring to our attention, what's our boat? What are we holding on to for dear life that isn't you? That we turn to in the the moments of fear, that's not you, we give them to you. Would you teach us how to rely on you first more than anything else? And then God, would you rescue us from our regret? I have so many regrets in my life, I do. But the hope that replaces that is in Jesus Christ. And so where we have those regrets, we give them to you, God. Give us the hope that only comes through Jesus. Give us the joy that will never go back to happiness. See, joy can't be swayed by the circumstances and the storms in our life. It's rooted in who you are as our savior. Would you give us that joy? Father, we praise you because you alone are worthy of it. Thank you for today. Would you continue to speak to us? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name we pray, amen.